And so this morning, what I want to do is we, I want to celebrate and start celebrating the empty tomb. See, we think, you know, we think cross, yeah, cross, shame, guilt, horrible, totally agree, horrible, horrible thing, but it doesn't end there. That was honestly the beginning of my life, but my life started to live in power at the empty tomb. We don't stay at the cross, we get to the empty grave. Too many of us stay at the cross. And so through studying some stuff um, by, by Rick Warren and some messages he's given over Easter and stuff, I looked at some of his stuff, I looked at some other stuff online, I, I reread the Easter story, which I can't, I can't tell it any better than what the Bible does. But as we get ready to go through this morning, I'm going to have Brady and Gary come and pass out some handouts to you guys. Um, I want to try something different this week. Uh, it's not a test. It'll actually be a fill-in-the-blank. I'll give you the answers. <laughs> I know, I gave it to my daughter, and I said, okay, go ahead and fill this in. And yeah, she didn't answer any of the questions right, so that hurt my feelings. Um, apparently, I'm a horrible, horrible teacher. But what I, what I want to do, and, and then let me know over the next couple weeks that I do this, if this is something you like, because if it is, it is something we can implement. I'm just trying something new to get a message that you're going to bring home and be able to look at through the week and say, okay, what did he talk about on Sunday? Oh, that's right. Here it is with the scripture verses that go with it. And so my prayer is over the next few weeks that that story and the message of Easter, it, it even grabs us deeper than it has ever has. We see it with new eyes. We see it and we understand that the extravagant love that Jesus showed us by his sacrifice for our sins. I mean, there, there, if you think about it, it's, it's, there are no words to explain that kind of love. It's just crazy. It's, you know, we sing the song, Reckless Love. It is, because Jesus chose to go to a cross and die for me while I was still a sinner. He didn't know if I was going to respond to him. He didn't know if I was going to say, yes, Jesus, be Lord of my life. He says, yeah, but guess what? I love you so much, I'm going to die anyways, just in case you decide to say yes. So it's up to us. We have to respond to the cross. We have to respond to the empty tomb. Again, just knowing the story of Easter as as nice and as cute as it is, the power is left behind if you don't go do it. James says it. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Jesus says, you'll know you're my disciple when you obey my commandments. He doesn't say you're my disciple because it's just a natural outflow. Again, anybody married here, I guarantee you do some things you don't like because you love your spouse. We do things for our kids that we don't necessarily like, like going out and standing in the freezing rain in a fifth quarter of a football game because some kids weren't good enough to play in the first four. You stand outside in the freezing rain and catch pneumonia because you love your kids. But that's, that's what we do, and that's the extravagant love that God showed us. He said, his, the, the Paying our penalty for sin is for something we could never pay was the greatest act of love ever shown. I mean, they made a movie about it. The greatest story ever told. They still make movies about it. It's still on the best-selling list. The Bible is every year. Think about that. 
But yet every year it becomes more and more alive. And so today what I want to do is I want to start, a, start this message, Dare to Believe. It's a question that we're all going to have to answer at some time. And I believe it's probably the most important question most people will ever answer in their life. Why? Because the choice to believe in Jesus or not has eternal consequences. There's still a heaven, there's still a hell. And us choosing to believe and daring to believe says, I want to take a chance that this Jesus is who he said he was. And so as, as I've said many times, and you guys have heard me say many times, your faith is personal. Your faith in Jesus is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it was never meant to be private. You know, as I thought about this this week, and, and, I, was, and I was praying over this, I thought about the decision Christy and I made 20 years ago. If we're going to do this, and we're, our marriage is going to work, we have to put God first. If we don't, this is going nowhere. We had a dare to believe that God was who he said he was. Think about that now. If you've walked through some stuff, do you take that chance and say, okay, God, you, you are all I got. Make it work. Because without you, this falls apart. But because of that decision we made 20 years ago, I thought about this, and it, 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 it brought tears to my eyes and made me excited. How many lives have been touched? Because I decided to take a chance. See, you don't know who you're going to affect because you dare to believe Jesus is who he says he is. And when you live that faith out, you don't know who you're going to touch. And so we have to think about this. Romans 8, or Romans 10, 8 through 11 says it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And then, there's a part two to that, he says, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, it's personal, or it's private, or it's personal and private at the same time. My kids don't get my belief and my faith in Jesus. It's mine. Your faith in Jesus is yours. That relationship you have is yours. But it was never meant to be kept yours. It was meant to openly declare your faith. If you read your New Testament, anywhere in the New Testament, when someone got saved, what was the first thing they did? They told somebody. Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. What did he start doing? He started preaching in the synagogues every day. Stephen got saved. What did he do? Poor dude got stoned. Not the stone we think about nowadays. Actual stones killed him. He openly declared his faith. See, we have to be willing to open. If we dare to believe in Jesus, we have to dare to take a chance and openly profess our faith by our lives. And it goes on to say the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. 
Thank you. I'm glad you're excited about it. How many of you guys don't want to feel shame? How many of you guys don't want to feel guilt? How many of you don't want to live with regret? Anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be disgraced, is what his word says. Not me. See, this is the beauty part of this stuff. You can be upset with me all you want. Blame God. That is the thing about this. And there's another verse that I love, and actually Sean actually talked about it a little over a year ago, found in Mark 9, 23 and 24, that talks about the fact when we dare to believe, we have to profess it. And when we pray hard for God to move, and we pray for God to change circumstances, and we pray for God to change us, maybe your prayer this morning needs to be, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Because I love that story. Again, I love Jesus. Dude's a comedian. He's like, Jesus, can you save my son if you can? He's like, seriously? If I can, really? That's how I see him responding to that. You know who I am, right? You've seen me heal people. You've seen what my life does for other people, if I can. And he goes on to say, anything is possible for what? For the person who believes. And that's when the father cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, the reason I, I love reading the Gospel of John so much is it is so simple to understand. Out of the like 218 times or something the word believe, the root word believe, is used in the Bible, it is used one-third of those total times just in the book of John. About 99 times the word believe is used in the book of John. That's why it is so easy for new believers. If I get a new believer, read the book of John. If I get a person who's struggling with something, read the book of John. I, to this day, go back every year and reread the book of John, trying to read it like I've never read it before. Because it has so much theological depth that the most learned scholar can still pull nuggets out of the book of John and a new believer can understand that says, for God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 1.12 says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you believe that this morning? Or do you need that, do you need that daring belief that says, I'm not sure but God, help me. Help me become sure. So really what I want to do over the next two weeks, um, and yeah, this will be up here, over the next two weeks, is today what I want to do is I want to, I want to answer the, just a question and just go four quick answers to this question. What are the benefits of following Jesus? And when we understand that God freely gives us benefits just for believing, it makes the gift even greater. Because we all like getting gifts, right? Especially persons who that's their love language. They love receiving gifts. Well, I like gifts. I'm not about things. But I, I do like receiving things. And so when Jesus said, guess what? If you receive me and accept me, I'm going to give you benefits beyond what you just see. 
And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to break down the question, what does it actually mean to believe in Jesus? And so that first question, those four benefits of believing in Jesus, is what I want them to do by the end of today is my prayer is that wherever you're at on your journey with Jesus, it deepens your belief. I mean, I could get all crazy, you know, study, show you all kinds of proofs and all this other type of stuff. You want that? Go read Josh McDowell or go read Lee Strobel. Get a headache, read those guys and all the stats and statistics and everything else. If you don't know who they are, Lee Strobel was an atheist, who decided, a newspaper guy who decided to say, okay, guess what? I want to prove my wife's faith wrong, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate this Jesus thing. And then, of course, he meets Jesus on the road to his Damascus, and his life has changed. Josh McDowell was a lawyer, an attorney who wanted to prove, and he says, I'm going to put Jesus on trial. So we're going to take trial, and we're going to take facts, and we're going to take evidence to prove that Jesus doesn't exist. And, and so he tries it, and guess what? I, I, I can't. I, I, he is who he says he is. Because one thing you have to decide today, and you will hear people tell you Jesus was a good teacher. I don't know one good teacher that's going to proclaim themselves to be God. That is a sure way to set yourself up for failure. Now, I could stand up here today and say I'm a good teacher. You, some of you sitting like, yeah, not so much. And that's okay. But if I was to stand up here and say I'm God, what would you think? Dude is nuts. My wife would be like, yeah, you don't live with him. I know he's not God. But that's exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? He proclaimed himself to be God. So he's either a con man or he is who he says he is. Those are the two choices you get to make. And what Jesus did with his life, he didn't just say it. What did he do? He proved it. He left that tomb empty. Ain't no other great teacher in history of the world that walked out of an, the empty tomb. See, he, 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 that's what he's calling us to do, is to live it out and believe it. So the first, first benefit we get when we learn to, that we're going we're to dare to believe in Jesus is everything I've ever done wrong has been forgiven. See, I even underlined what you've got to write down. Isn't that cool? See, everything I've ever done wrong, Christ went to the cross and paid the price for me. In Acts 10.43, he says, He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. See, there is no other name on heaven or earth or under the earth by which we, should be, we, we can be saved except Jesus. And so when Jesus went to the cross and we dare to believe Jesus is who he says he is, every mistake I've ever made in my past is wiped clean. How many of y'all want that? Y'all want to be wiped clean? Yeah. How many of us have a hard time forgetting? Jesus wiped us clean, but we rewrite the word. Shame. Guilt. On our own little private whiteboards. You don't know what I've done. I'm a liar. I cheated. I stole. And we keep writing it down, and God says, no, guess what? Jesus wiped that clean. 
And we pick up the marker again. Yeah, but Jesus, I really don't deserve to be forgiven. So here, let me, just, let me keep this one. And Jesus is like, no, everything you've done has been forgiven. Romans 3.22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. See, when you think about that last part, it's what makes Christianity so different from every other religion. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. How long you did it. Or where you did it. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. So for some of you this morning, this first benefit is the benefit you need most today. Is you need to understand you're forgiven for every mistake you've ever made. You are made new in Christ. And the thing is about it, is it says you're going to be forgiven the minute you put your trust in Jesus. Now, do we remember? Yes. I've told you the story. I woke up one night with something I did 30 years ago. The devil trying to get in and start messing with my head. Remember when you did this? Remember when you were downtown in Philadelphia and you did this? And I woke up. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Because they're still there. And the enemy wants to try to use them. Because you know what I did? I woke up and I took the saying on Christie's shirt and said, not today, Satan. I said, that is not who I am anymore. Because Jesus has wiped my past clean. See, some of y'all need to take a stand and tell the, tell the devil, no. Because again, legally, if you look at how the, the word is written, it's written in a legal term when Jesus paid, was the propitiation for your sins, which means he paid for your sins. That's saying he wiped your debt clean. You owe nothing. And so when you're reminded of something in your past, it's like, uh-uh, not today, Satan. That's not who I am. See, you get to make that choice. Because there are a lot of people today, and you're going to run into them, and please invite them to church over the next few weeks to get the freedom that you have, that are living with secret regrets. They're living with secret shame. Something they cannot share with anybody. A guilt that, of something they've done in their past. And they're carrying a burden around that they were never meant to carry because Jesus carried it on his back in that and that scarred, ripped open, teared up back from the whip, he carried it with him to the cross so you could receive forgiveness. And all you got to do is say yes. You are forgiven. Now, quite honestly, I could have stopped right there. That is an amazing benefit for believing in Jesus is every mistake I've ever made has been wiped clean. I had a big, fat book of mistakes. My, my mistakes went deep. But Jesus said, that's okay. Trust me, and I can make you new. 
See, trusting Jesus would be enough and that forgiveness of sin would be enough. But Jesus said there's more. Jesus said as you, as you take that one, there's even, a better, there's even better benefits that follow. See, forgiveness is really a great benefit. But what happens when I'm forgiven and I understand I'm forgiven? All of a sudden, I start forgiving. I can start forgiving other people because I know what Jesus did for me. And so, see, again, it's not personal. It's not, or it's not meant to be private. My forgiveness is for you guys as well. Because as I'm forgiven, I can forgive. If I can't receive forgiveness, I can't forgive. And G I mean, Jesus even warned us. If you can't forgive your brother of his sin, your father can't forgive you. Now that's dangerous. Because if God can't forgive me, what does that mean for me? Let me help. Hell. And not just hell on earth. Hell in eternity. If God can't forgive me my sins. So again, just be dumb enough to believe God and forgive people. Again, it doesn't excuse what they did. It frees you from what they did. All right? Second benefit of, of daring to believe in Jesus is you get to learn God's purpose for my life. See, there's only one way you're going to learn the purpose of your life, and that's by talking to the Creator of your life. As I was talking to my daughter this week, and she likes to paint, I said, who gets to decide what that, what that painting is going to look like? You are the canvas. Hey, hey, guess what? I'm a canvas. God's the artist. See, we giggle. Sometimes we're too smart for our own goods. She's like, well, I get to. I'm like, that's right, because you're the creator. Now, who is your creator? God. Remember, there's a story in Isaiah where God leads Isaiah to a potter's house. And he looks in, and he sees a potter making a, making a pot. And he's doing, you know, doing this and spinning it and putting the water on and making the pot. Now, if the pot falls apart and doesn't come out to be what, it, what it's supposed to be, what does he do? He smushes it and remakes it. Some of us, that's exactly where we're at with God. We need to let him remake us. He was our creator. He knows our best purpose. Do you think my purpose was ever to be a pastor? Not a chance. I was happy day to day in my life. Each day brought new happiness. I'm joking. I, couldn't, I, I am happier now than I've ever been, but I didn't see myself doing this. And some of you need to understand that the job you're in right now is the purpose God has for you right now. Do it as if you're doing it to God. Because your creator puts you in that place. See, Rick Warren says you can't tell yourself what your purpose is because you didn't invent you. Colossians 1.16 in the Meshes version says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him him you want to know your purpose get closer to jesus and he'll let you know what your purpose is see there's a lot of people today that are confused about their identities 
There's a lot of people today who are confused about their purpose, and we're making it up, honestly, as we go along right now. We are just making things up because we have no idea. And I truly believe there are those confusions. And why? Because people have lost their identity in the one who created them. They're looking for a purpose and they're looking to do something they were never created to do. A great example for that in the church is a great example. Again, you all heard me say when I got saved, I tried every ministry possible because I was just excited and wanted to serve wherever I could. And so I said, I will serve and help with Royal Rangers. Well, if you don't know what that is, that is just ba- that's basically the Assemblies of God's version of Boy Scouts. So I got a bunch of little boys running around screaming, doing what little boys do. After about two weeks of doing that, I am frustrated beyond belief. Why? Because I want them to sit down and listen to what I'm telling them. But they don't. So I learned very quickly that working with kids is not my purpose. Can I do it if I have to? Yes. Somehow God blessed me with the ability to be the director of the Rice Recreation Department. Think about that now. Could not handle 12 little boys... And now i got 105 little kids that play ball. See, what I learned is it's not my purpose to, to work and to direct the kids, but my purpose is to create teams that love to work with kids and can make it flourish. Just because I didn't like it didn't mean I couldn't use the purpose God created me for to create an excitement that can be used for it. See, don't, don't, sometimes you have to rethink things. You know, I read a story this week about, um, and again, this is finding God's purpose for my life, um, how I can't remember the year it was in my book. It's like 1908 or something like that. In London, they were having a manure problem because everybody had carriages and everybody had horses and nobody had anything else to drive around. And what do horses do? They poop. They make manure. They had figured in the next 30 years that all of London was going to be covered in about nine feet of manure. So guess what they did? They did what most churches do. They created a committee. That committee was convened to meet for a week. It lasted three days, and they found no solution. Over in America, guess what? We had the same issue. Had horses, drawn carriages. That's how people got around. There was this guy named Henry Ford who said, I'm not going to try to figure out how to, how to get rid of the manure problem. I'm going to figure out how to get rid of the manure problem, but not by trying to get rid of the manure, but say, how about we make a horseless carriage? Took care of the manure problem, didn't it? He had to rethink the problem. And some of you today need to rethink your purpose. God may have you where he needs you. You just need to rethink how to do it. Don't do things... And Mark Batterson says in in his book, Do It for a Day, you are getting exactly what your systems have designed you to get. So if you're not happy with something in your life, change your system. It's not your life that's the problem, it's how you're doing it. And so get refocused on Jesus to find that purpose. Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. I love that verse. And at that point, he's talking to Athens. And they had all these statues put up. And he comes to this one of the unknown God. And he says, hey, let me introduce you to this one. His name is Jesus. 
He was the one God talked about. He was the one the prophets talked about. He came to forgive you for your sins. He came to give you new life. Let me introduce you to him. And see, that's all you're doing, is you're just introducing people to somebody they're already looking for. And that's the beauty of Christianity. When we understand it's in Christ, we find our identity. We find what we're living for and why we're doing it. That's our purpose. In Christ, we find that out. Third thing is I get strength for daily living. I don't have my phone. What time you got, Sean? 11? Well, I got to go fast then. I get strength for daily living. You guys ready for this? Got that down? All right. Think about the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't, and we all want to say, God, give us our weekly bread so I don't have to ask for it every day. See, he gives us strength every day so we can live it out. In um, Isaiah 40, 29, it says he gives power to the weak and he gives strength to the powerless. See, the no, I believe the number one problem we're facing is depression, anxiety, anger, worry, or boredom. The number one problem we're facing right now today is everybody's weary, everybody's tired, everybody's busy. We need to slow down. We need to ask God, because what does God say? Those who find their, their strength in him will be renewed. Like, and like wings of eagles, they'll be, they'll be brought back to life. They'll have, a, they'll, have a step, you know, they'll have a little jump in their step. They'll be excited about where they're headed in life. Why? Because they got plugged into their daily strength. See, a blender not plugged in is worthless. You got to plug it into the power outlet. Your power outlet today is the Holy Spirit, and when you choose to believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit who gives you the power for your daily living. And again, you ask for it every day. We see the disciples over and over again in the New Testament saying, God, refill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, come down on us again today in the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness to preach your name. Because there's no way you can fulfill your purpose in life without being plugged into God's power. Your life cannot possibly be all that God intends it to be until you are plugged into that. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, through the Passion Translation, it says, I pray that you continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives are going to be an advertisement of those immense powers as Christ works through you. How many of y'all want to be an advertisement? Dude, millions of dollars are spent on 30 seconds of advertisement. You are worth a ton of money. Think about that. He says you're going to be an advertisement for God. Why? Because that's the power that released God and raised Christ from the dead. It exalted him to the place of honor and supreme authority. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. So no matter what you're walking through today, God's got the power to overcome it. You just got to believe. And the fourth one, and honestly, is the greatest one. It says, I am guaranteed eternal life. When I dare to believe Jesus is who he says he is, and that he died on a cross and rose from the dead for me, I receive eternal life. John eleven twenty five and 26 says, Jesus told her, and Jesus is telling you today, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. He is asking you this morning, do you believe this? I want more yeses. If you don't, then I'm, I'm going to keep preaching until you believe it. Because <laughs> uh, he, he said, do you believe this, Martha? Because remember, Lazarus just died. 
Actually, he died four days before Jesus took his time getting there. It's like, seriously, Jesus, if you'd have been here four days ago, you could have healed him. And he says, no, no, you're missing the point of why I came. I am the resurrection from the dead. Some of y'all, life feels dead this morning. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, I got your resurrection. Just pick it up. Just pick it up and walk with me. Do you believe me? Jesus is saying, do you believe me? And if we say yes, guess what? Stand up and say, yes, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you are who you say you are, and you have given me new life. The old man has passed away. All things have become new. Everything I've done in my past has been wiped clean, and I get to be a new creation in Christ. He says, all that's dead, let it lay in the grave. Quit, quit unburying the dead past. Don't give it CPR. Let it die. Let your past die right where it is today. Because Jesus says, I'm going to give you eternal life. You see, when Jesus brought himself back to the life, it changed everything. They can no longer say he wasn't who he said he was. And I can, again, I can give you all kinds of statistics that said people seen him after the, after the empty tomb. And did you all know that the rock wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out? It was to let us in to see that empty tomb. He wasn't there. That's what, they, that's what the angel said. Who are you looking for? He ain't here. But I came. Jesus was buried here. Uh-uh. He's alive. And he lives in you. Our whole, and I'm going I'm to wrap it up with this. Our whole world is built on this very premise of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at your calendar. Your birthday is based on the resurrection of Jesus. You have A.D., you have B.C., our calendar is set up on Jesus' resurrection. He created a new world. Nothing's bigger than believing Jesus is who he says he is. These three things, and you can write them down if you want to, they're not in your notes. Because Jesus is who he says he is, our past is forgiven, our present, we have new life, and our future is being written in him. So I want to take a few moments this morning to let you answer that question to Jesus this morning. Do you dare to believe he is who he says he is?